As you may recall from the last episode, Antonio Ferreira been through a lot of difficulties and challenges. But I would like to mention they were the key for him to have success in all of the endeavors that he had on his life. Of course, we do, we do not want a life where you live in a something called house, having a rat urinating into our bed, or by the age of 14 crossing mountains and valleys barefoot only to return home for the weekend and not having a comfortable bed to sleep in. We do not want for us or for our kids. I know that many of, uh, of you think that Antonio's success were because of his genes. Jordan Peterson, the author of the book 12 Rules for Life, said that for you to have a great life and to be on your best you, you must throw out challenges and difficulties. This is the only way to be at your best version. In today's episode, I will tell you Antonio's life after he been relieved from the army, how he got his first boat and how and also how he returned to Portugal after the civil war in Angola back in 1974. Believe me, all the stories are filled with unbelievable courage and strength. But first, let me talk about you, the Londoners, became brave and courage in one of the darkest moments of their history. This is the David and Goliath podcast, and I will tell you real stories from normal people who had great mighty wars and defeated their giants. Malcolm Gladwell, David and Goliath book, mentioned during the Blitz over London in the Second World War, the Londoners became more confident and more brave than ever. The effect that Hitler wanted on the British people came to be a disappointment. But if you haven't read it, I'll summarize it for you. Between the fall of 1940 and during 57 consecutive nights, London and all the major cities in Britain were bombed by Luftwaffe, the German Nazi Air Force. Hitler's goal was to destroy the morality of the people and also the war industry of Britain. They dropped tens of thousands of high explosive bombs and more than a million incendiary devices. Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister, used to say that London has, has the greatest target in the world, a kind of tremendous, fat, valuable cow tied up to attack the beast of prey. The government predicted the attack that five to five million people would fled to the countryside. In 1937, the British military command issued a report with the direct prediction of all. 600,000 dead people, 1.2 million wounded and a massive panic attack in the streets. All the economy would drop, not only consequence of the directly dev devastating bombs, but also would refuse to go to work, and no one could do nothing to prevent this. It was hopeless. In the city limits of London and all the other major cities, the government set up several psychiatric hospitals to handle the massive flood of people. And like it was written, there is every chance that this could cost us to war. Well, 
the predictions were slightly right. 40,000 people were killed, 40 to 60,000 injured, a million buildings were damaged or destroyed, entire neighborhoods were vanished through the map. I said the predictions were slightly right. The tiny difference was in the Londoners' reaction. They don't fled away, they stayed in London and the panic never was present in the people's spirit. The hospitals at the countryside were empty. No one showed up. The persons that needed to be in London stayed in the city and by surprise of the government, as the bombing became more and more ugly, the courage would become more and more higher and what was more unbelievable, their reaction was something closer to indifference. Malcolm, on his book, writes that one of the English psychiatrists drove to the streets in the morning and saw everyone living their lives as if nothing extraordinary happened in just a few hours before. No one, so far as I could, as I could see, even looked into the sky, said the doctor. A normal night to, to the Londoners at this time was running, running out to the subways and spending the night over there, as at the same time their, their houses would be on fire. Hearing on the top of their heads the sound of thousands of planes crossing the sky releasing the bombs through the capital, sound of ambulances running the streets trying to rush to saving people, machine antique aircraft guns soaring through the sky, defending the city of something which was impossible to defend, and to hear and feel the explosions of the bombs into their houses and buildings. Can you imagine and feel walking through the subway and see all the major destruction, the smell of burning, the smell of death? What would be your reaction? Defeat? Panic? Well, maybe. The Londoners reacted differently. After the war was ended, a, Can a Canadian psychiatrist studied the enigma, and his conclusions were unbelievable. Malcolm wrote on the book that McCurdy, the Canadian psychiatrist, argued when the bombs were falling it divided the, aft the aff affected population in three groups. The first ones was the ones who were affected by the destruction, the ones who had lost their belongings and related ones. But I want to uh, highlight what is written. The morale of the community depends on the re reaction of the survivors. So from that point of view, the killed do not matter. But this way, the fact is obvious. Corpses do not run about, spreading panic. Which came to the second group on which McCarthy called near misses. The ones they feel the blast and the destruction, horrified by horrendous killings and deaths surrounding them. The wounded people would be in this group, the traumatized ones. The third and last one were the remote misses, the ones who listened to the sirens, watched the enemy's bombers overhead, heard, saw and feel the bombs coming down. But they hit the street of the neighborhood down below, and the consequences of bombing are the opposite of the near-miss group. What he meant by that was they survived the first, the second and the third times, 
The emotion that comes along is a feeling of excitement. A remote miss makes you think you are invincible. A few testimonies are written in the book. One of them was a middle-aged laborer, was asked if he wanted to be evacuated to the countryside. He had been bombed out of his house twice, and after the bombings, him and his wife were okay. He said to, to the authorities, What? And miss all this? Not for all the gold in China. There has never been nothing like it. Not, never. And never will be again. Obstacles give you the courage to take chances you'd never otherwise have taken, writes Malcolm. Antonio, after being released from the army, goes to Benguela. Benguela is one of the major cities in Angola. It's located in the western of Angola and it has a major role in the national economy. Back then, Benguela was one of the centers of the Portuguese trade to the African interior. Our hero began to work in a tuna fish boat called Dustagui, which means Megogadio. That boat worked for a company which had two big boats, Rio Voga and Rio Agada, with freezing cold cabinets and fortify small tuna fish boats, deployed to them all the tunas that were being captured by them. The fishing operation vanished an area of 300 miles coast, seeking the tunas from the north to the south. After a couple of months, and also with the help of his boss, he ordered his first fish boat, named Rosemary. The name came through a girl name, which would be his wife and mother of his kids. Like the other 45 tuna fish boats, Rosemary, the boat, would also back up the two large boats. During the construction of his boat, Antonio worked in one of the largest ones, Rio Voga. He was an ex extraordinary man, and by the time Rosemary was finished, the administration didn't release him to his ship. He continues in Rio Voga for four years. This set him to hire a responsible for his ship, and he did. He started as an ordinary seaman, and by the end of the four years, he reached an equivalent as the second commander of the boat. After that, he went to being the, cap the captain of his ship. Meanwhile, he meets he met his wife, Rosemary, yes, the wife, and married her. They went off their honeymoon throughout Angola, and only returning after run out of money for the fuel of his car. I would like to remind you that Angola was in war with Portugal for independency. After, after a couple of days, the recent couple arrived at Cambambatela, where Antonio had an uncle that worked and lived in a coffee plantation. But that plantation was not in the city, but in the surrounding limits of the city, and to go there was very dangerous because of the war. The couple insisted to get, to get there, And they went, guarded by the Portuguese brigade. They arrived at the plantation. It was like in a camp, surrounded by the army, guarding the place. His uncle had a chief position, and so he had the permission to use a machine gun. They spent there for a couple of days, and returned to their tour through Angola. 
I would like to ask you this. Would you sleep knowing the place could be attacked by rebels? Well, not me. Other adventures happened during the honeymoon, but by the end, everything went well and having stories to tell to their future grandsons. With these adventures, who wouldn't have? In 1974, and Portugal had a revolution on its political regime. The, di the dictatorship was ended and democracy arrived at the country. For Antonio and his family would start his blitz. After the revolution in 25th of April 1974, the different political movements in Angola, who were in war against Portugal before the revolution, start to establish in the, major, in the major cities. After a while, the civil war began and all the white people ran out of their houses, which led to abandoned houses, anger and above all, crossfire begins in every street of the cities. Back in the days in Angola, there were houses who, was, who sell and buy gold, always with enough of them to be very successful. But at that time, no one had gold, vanished from all the cities. Also there were a lot of currencies running inside of the country. Dollars, rands, Deutsche Mark and others. Like the gold, they also disappeared. Very quick, all the condition would go from great to a living hell. Rosemary, his wife, was expecting his first child and there were no doctor in the city. Think God this child was born with the help of a lady whose job was assisting births. Everybody was running out to South Africa and Namibia. Airplanes and boats were traveling people who wanted to return to Portugal, leaving behind a past filled with happiness and joy, moving towards to something that they didn't couldn't even imagine. Antonio and his family had his boat, Rosemary. They had something that could help them living in Angola, and so they did. But there was a small detail. Rosemary, the boat, had the work had work in a very intensive way during the tuna fishing, leaving the engine with a lot of failures. This forced Antonio to replace some parts of the engine. But where can he buy? He lived in a desert, remember? He found out that he could persuade the parts in a factory nearby Luanda, the capital. In the normal days, it would be an ordinary trip, but with the civil war carrying on throughout the country, being alive by the end of the journey would be more than a challenge. Antonio needed to go where no other possibility. Without facing the engine was something equivalent of facing death in a few weeks. So he went on his 2,000km journey. He arrived very tired and stressful, but finding out the factory was closed. The marks of recent combats were very present on the walls, showing the bullets marks spread out throughout all the building. The war was at the gates of Luanda. He started to see where he could find the responsible of the factory, and by the end of a couple of days, he found out that the guy lived in Luanda. Antonio went there and after a, a tough discussion, he convinced the guy to open the factory. 
they established to go over there between the 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The period of time that the fights were having a pause. They went there and Tony could finally persuade what he needed. Returned back home, running away the 2000 kilometers between Luanda and Benguela. Fixed his engine and everything was prepared for him and his family to bring their personal belongings to the boat and leave this nightmare. They established they would leave the city as soon as they start earning, hearing the first gunshot. They sent everything to the boat, furniture, every bed, including his two cars. When the first shot began, him and Rosemary, the wife, were in their friend's house, nearby the city. He wanted to go, but his friend tried to stop them, saying it was too dangerous to go, because there were, there were a lot of gunfire in the city. Antonio insisted, and they went. They had to cross a bridge, which circulated cars and trains. The guard didn't want them to cross it, not because of the train, because of the intense crossfire that was happening on the other side of the bridge. Like his friend, Antonio convinced the guard and went through the, with the guard at the front, opening the way to them. When he was arriving at the end of the bridge, he saw, he saw a friend heading on the opposite side with a car full with UNITA militaries. At the same time, he saw on the floor two dead soldiers from UNITA lying dead. Also, no, Antonio noticed at the same time Militaries from the another armed force nearby, carrying heavy machine gun on their hands, ready to fire. Antonio was driving very slowly, watching very carefully if they were moving their weapons to shoot at him and to his family. Also, I do believe the soldiers were watching and focusing all the moves, ready to go fire for any kind of quick move from Antonio. With doubts in, 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 in the intentions of each one of them, Everybody would pumping out adrenaline so high throughout their veins. By the end, nothing happened. They could pass through and moving towards to, to the harbor to lift it up the boat, the vehicles and the heavy cargo that was left to go. At night, on the 23rd of August of 1975, they fled away, heading to Welvis Bay in Namibia. Like the Londoners, who were at the third group, the remote misses, every time that they escaped to an air bombing, the sense of invincibility was felt like in a tremendous victory. Antonio and his family were sad to leave behind their houses and jobs, but at the same time happy to, to overcome all the challenges to get out of, of Angola and feelings of courage and hope for their new future. Angola was in a war and they had to choose the best and only chance to continue their lives. So, at 3 a.m. on the 27th of August of 1975, they arrived at Walvis Bay, in Namibia. They would stay there until the 2nd of April of 1976 and the day they start the endeavor of returning back home to Portugal. In Walvis Bay, they were received like refugees they were sent to a refugees camp where there was other Portuguese 
who fled Angola by car. Everyone was alive and well. The, ne the next question pumping on all of their heads was how to return to Portugal. A few days later, an air bridge between Vindahoque and Lisbon was established. Everyone was returning to Portugal except the owners of the boats and the closest family. In Welvis Bay there were 45 ships and a special boat, the tugboat called Bengo, which was very helpful towards the journey back to Portugal. So they need to raise the money, supplies, fuel and insurance for the boats for them to return to Portugal. The only one that could help them was the Portuguese government. But there was one problem. They weren't in the mood of helping them. And therefore everything would be blocked. Without this help was impossible to return. Until one day, by the end of eight months after arriving to Elvis Bay, a senior commander from the Portuguese Navy arrives having orders for helping them on the journey back to Portugal. The government was willing to help, help them with money, with the navy, fuel and all the necessary repairs on the boats. Also, all the logistics in planning the journey and the best of all, insurance for all boats, including the tugboat Bengo, which his captain was an, a Second World War South African veteran. Because Antonio experienced and understanding English fluently, he was invited to go in a tugboat. For his boat, the Rosemary, he invited a friend of him of Algarve and believed that he had enough skills to manage and overcome this challenge, on which he said yes. 45 boats released ready to leave, 8 went to Brazil and 39 moving to north to Portugal. On the 2nd of April 1976, 39 boats left Welvis Bay, turning to Portugal. They were advised by the South African Air Force to go first 80 miles west and then after turning off north to Portugal. The reason why was the MiG-21 of Angola Air Force had a maximum range of 80 miles to deploy the bombs and return to the base. And those and they did it like this. The journey was 32 days of nightmare until arriving Funchal, capital of Madeira Island. They left secretly, heading first to Brazil, and after eight hours journey, changed north, heading to Portugal. By the end of the fourth day, some boats were starting to have problems. The broken ones were tied down to the tugboat Bengo. One day, said Antonio, there were three boats tied to Bengo. At the middle of the journey, four of them got sunk. Antonio said that they were sunk on purpose because the owners made a value insurance through the Portuguese government. When they were passing Equator Line, two boats got lost behind. Bengo's captain refused to return back and chase those two boats because Bengo was the leading boat. Until two guys point out heavy machine guns forcing him to turn back. 
They went, but they didn't find no one. The episode delayed the journey in four days. On the 13th April, the Portuguese Navy arrived to give them the help who was established with the government. Two boats, San Gabriel and Schultz. Food, medical support and fuel were given. St. Gabriel tied down more boats, on which were almost breaking up. At some point, seven boats were tied up to the Navy cargo ship. When the fleet was in front of Republic of Sierra Leone, a huge storm hit them. It was running so heavily that some boats requested to Schultz more pumps to remove water inside of them. One boat could not succeed and sank. On the 4th of May 1976, they arrived at Portugal. 39 boats plus St. Gabriel and Schultz. 35 boats who started the journey, 5 sank, having only arrived at Funchal, 34. In Funchal remained 10. All the rest went to Portugal mainland on 8th of May of 1976. After 10 years away, Antonio returned to his homeland. He lived to, he lived to South Africa alone 10 years ago and now he's returning with two sons and a wife. With him only Angolan money, which means nothing. For the second time on his life, he will start over again and it will and what will be throwing at him? Will he have the faith and energy to restart everything again? I do believe that you believe we will. Let's see next Monday. We make the same mistake over and over again. We think, like the British government, that there is only one kind of response to something terrible and traumatic. I can assure you, there isn't. There are two. There is the ones who belongs to the group who was killed and injured during the Blitz, and are the other ones who belongs to the remote misses, who lived the bombs, feel the destruction, smell the death, but survived to all of that. And Antonio belonged to this group. Do you remember Goliath? He was a giant and because of, of this, everyone was afraid of him. No one would barely move, much more fight against him. And then a shepherd boy comes along with such courage that defeats and kills the mighty warrior. After all, being giant is not so mighty. After all, surviving an air bombing during 50 night, 57 nights make us superheroes. After all, tough times aren't as tough as they would think at the beginning. The Blitz in London and the Blitz in Antonio's life created more courage than even before. The German would never been better of not bombing London at all, wrote Malcolm, and I say, we, didn't, we did not have another hero walking among us if it wasn't for the mighty challenges that Antonio faced off, on which, like Goliath, weren't so mighty after all. All of us are superheroes. <laughs>